0: This is an RNZ podcast.
1: Last month, the media watchdog across the Tasman, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, reported back on something a lot more serious than Alan Jones' on-air ranting, but something which also caused alarm over there. On the day of the Christchurch mosque attacks in March, no fewer than four national TV networks there screened scenes from the gunman's live stream video of the atrocity, including images of him firing his weapons. Now, we are not going to show that in its entirety. There is a little bit at the beginning that may just give an indication of exactly how this happened. So a warning, we believe that this is the beginning uh, of the gunman's attack. We'll just show you that briefly. Australia's Channel 7 there and it's rolling coverage back on March the 15th, after which viewers were told this. What follows there for the next uh, few minutes and it has been viewed in our newsroom uh, is beyond horrific and that's where we're going to leave it there. But Channel 7 didn't leave it there. On its 6pm news that night it showed footage inside the mosque with bodies blurred and it was exactly the same pattern on the rival Channel 9 and the publicly funded ethnic-focused Channel SBS also ran footage from the video in its on-air rolling coverage. But it was Sky News Australia and coverage which also aired here on Sky TV's Channel 85 that day which ran much more of the gunman's GoPro footage than any other broadcaster and more often. Here's how the Australian ABC Media Watch programme's host, Paul Barry, described that on TV four days later.
0: On Friday, Sky News repeatedly played footage of the gunman taking his weapons from the car and approaching the mosque, and also broadcast alarming footage of him fleeing the scene, complete with subtitles. Sky went on to broadcast 40 seconds of the gunman boasting of his success, as if he'd just been playing a video game.
1: Indeed, Paul Barry said that in his opinion, the video game style footage trivialised and normalised 50 brutal murders. Now, by this stage, the Australian Communications and Media Authority had actually launched its own investigation into this. And four months later, it concluded that most broadcasting on the day in Australia was responsible, given the unique circumstances. And it said that holding broadcasters accountable for individual contraventions of the codes would have little benefit. But some viewers here, watching the same coverage of Sky News Australia on Sky's Channel 85 didn't like what they saw. They complained to Sky, and then the regulator here, the Broadcasting Standards Authority. Now, Sky TV argued to the Broadcasting Standards Authority that it should take account of its Australian counterpart's decision and the fact that it had no editorial control on the feed from Australia. But this week, the authority decided Sky TV here had aired scenes that breached standards for pay TV and ordered it to pay costs to the Crown. It also said that Sky TV showed not enough understanding of its own obligations and no apparent remorse. Now on the face of it, it's not surprising the four members of the Broadcasting Standards Authority did find a breach of the standards for violence and law and order. On the 15th of March, the Department of Internal Affairs advised that the live stream video was likely to be objectionable content under New Zealand law, and within 48 hours, possessing the video or sharing copies of it became a criminal offence when the Office of the Chief Censor declared the video objectionable. The Chief Censor also said at that time news media need to carefully consider the impact of sharing broadcasting or publishing any part of that video, given the potential for harm. And since then, the Broadcasting Standards Authority itself has announced a new mission statement, part of which is to protect New Zealanders from harm. But it could also be argued that New Zealanders had a right to know what was going on from a legitimate news channel on March the 15th, one that was skilled in covering breaking news. And that video, stark evidence of the scale and brutality of the crime, was unarguably newsworthy. In its ruling this week, the BSA acknowledged that, but added... While the broadcast as a whole was newsworthy and had a high level of public interest, the clips themselves contained disturbing, violent content. And the BSA ruling went on to say this... This risked glorifying the alleged attacker and promoting his messages. As such, the degree of potential harm that could be caused to audiences was greater than the level of public interest. Now back on the 15th of March, shortly after 8pm that day, after more than five hours of rolling coverage, in which the gunman's video had aired eight times, Sky TV in New Zealand announced that the Sky News Australia feed had been replaced with sports coverage until further notice. Stung by claims that Sky in New Zealand had to take the channel down, Sky News Australia's chief executive Paul Whittaker later said this was a preemptive and precautionary step on their part. He said it was to ensure that any live coverage or commentary didn't impact on the unfolding events in New Zealand or compromise any investigations. But this week, the BSA has ruled that that didn't happen soon enough. We consider the use of the clips from the alleged attacker's livestream footage had the potential to further the alleged attacker's propaganda purpose of glorifying his own actions and inciting or encouraging violence. But while Sky TV was the only outlet in New Zealand sanctioned for this, it wasn't the only one to air or publish parts of the gunman's footage here in New Zealand. Newsroom.co.nz embedded a video in one of its online stories, ironically one which urged Facebook's boss Mark Zuckerberg to shut down live streaming. That video, showing shots being fired, was swiftly removed by newsroom after complaints from readers. And TVNZ also, twice, aired a few seconds of edited footage on March the 15th in a One News special.
0: Loading a shotgun, the attacker walks from his vehicle in broad daylight towards the mosque. We won't show you any more from this point.
1: But that was more than enough for some viewers who complained at the time, including to us here at MediaWatch. Now at that time, TVNZ's head of news John Gillespie told Media Watch one news showed just a few non-violent seconds of the footage to show the high degree of premeditation and planning from the attacker. The footage was only used subsequently in the context of discussions on gun reform. The inclusion of any sensitive footage and news coverage, he said, was signed off by him as TVNZ's head of news before the broadcast and it had been discussed with the censor's office after the broadcast. This week, the BSA agreed that TVNZ had exercised the appropriate level of editorial oversight and caution and the potential for harm from what they chose to show, said the BSA, didn't outweigh TVNZ's right to show it. Next month, the BSA is meeting broadcasters in Auckland to discuss reporting terrorism and extreme violence and whether the rules now need to change, and they'll find out then if the broadcasters reckon the BSA has drawn the line in the right place. Ethics specialist Dennis Muller was cited by the BSA in its ruling upholding the complaints against Sky TV. But in Australia, he's criticised the watchdog there for pulling its punches in its review.
0: What the ACMA found were that there were serious questions with their phrase about whether the broadcasters had breached the television codes of practice or not. The most relevant clause says a broadcaster can't show material that's likely to seriously distress or seriously offend a substantial number of viewers unless there's a public interest in doing so. So that's the sort of uh, rather vague benchmark uh, ACMA found. There are questions about whether that clause was breached. And what they looked at in particular was footage that that showed a person being shot at, uh, someone who'd already been shot, a scene inside the Al Noor Mosque, So they were the sort of main uh, pieces of footage that the ACMA focused on. Uh, It left it open to uh, interpretation that the threshold for violence, which was acceptable for broadcast, uh, is footage that doesn't show someone actually being shot. That seemed to be their threshold.
1: And do you think that's the way the broadcasters actually see it, that this is a kind of a green light that as long as we don't show anyone being shot and killed on screen, that's fine?
0: That's exactly how the broadcasters will see it. They'll see it as a green light. As long as we don't actually show someone being shot, basically we can show everything up to that point. That's a recipe for the use of sensational and deeply offensive footage. I think you're right that, that that will become the sort of threshold point.
1: Is it significant, Dennis, that um, you know three commercial television channels, the big networks, 7, 9, and 10, all ran images from the gunman's video? Uh, Sky as a pay TV uh, channel did as well, and one public one, the SBS channel, did. But the public broadcaster ABC did not. Is that a significant distinction?
0: Oh, I think it is, yes. Firstly, the ABC has a very extensive set of what are called editorial policies, and they provide detailed guidance... On how um, decision-making should be made around these things Um, and uh, of course the other thing is they don't have the commercial imperative and uh, look it it isn't cynical to say that um, the commercial broadcasters will push the envelope as far as they think they can uh, because they want ratings and viewers Um, I don't say at all that that was their Uh, prime motivation uh, in their decision making here but I think that if you're working in a culture like that an incident like this comes along you're habituated to making decisions that are likely to maximise ratings. I I think that's just human nature. I think the culture in public sector broadcasters is different. It's more cautious and and I really don't say that as, as a way of saying that the commercial broadcasters deliberately set out uh, to sensationalise this stuff. It's just their habit of mind.
1: And now here, our regulator, the Broadcasting Standards Authority, it sanctioned Sky TV here for running the Sky News Australia feed, which had, I think, eight instances of the gunman's images over five hours, said that simply shouldn't have been aired on New Zealand television and been seen by New Zealand viewers. But it didn't uphold complaints against TVNZ, which only showed very limited scenes from the very start of the gunman's video. Uh, didn't show his face or the man himself. Do you think they've made the right distinction there?
0: I think the Broadcasting Standards Authority report on this is a model of its kind, to be perfectly frank. They've identified all of the important considerations here, and I think they've arrived at, at very well-grounded findings. They They basically... Uh, apply a test of proportionality they say that look there was a, a high value and public interest in keeping the public informed about all this but it says the harm caused by these extensive clips and they were referring to the repetition as well as the content of the clips was disproportionate to the value in them and I think that's that's a uh, a very well-grounded finding, looking at the evidence that they had available to them. The Australian channels, or at least the, the channel I was watching, Channel 7, uh, went much further than that. Actually, at one point, you could see the gunman's weapon being raised and, and aimed at figures in, a, in the doorway of the mosque, and you saw a puff of smoke. I thought that was unconscionable.
1: But I do, Dennis, have sympathy for... Editors here in New Zealand when this instance happens if you 've been a broadcast TV editor, say over the past ten years you 've dealt with say the Pike River tragedy, which was a very difficult one to cover again, that was done live on television a lot, improvised coverage, Christchurch earthquakes, really difficult images It's just impossible to work out how ethically to report that uh, in an ideal way, uh, and then you know this this terrible incident back in March. If I was a TV editor, I'd be inclined to think, well, that video, the gunman's video, clearly a part of a story. The whole world talking about it. Personally, I don't think I would have objected if we'd seen more of that video on the day, um, the, the sort of non-lethal parts of it, and then it just hadn't been repeated. Would, would that be a fair position?
0: Well, I think there's a distinction to be drawn between the sorts of things we were talking, of, you were talking about there—natural uh, disasters or uh, industrial disasters, such as the Pike River. Um, disaster or the Christchurch earthquake, both of them did not have the propagandising element the Christchurch atrocity did have. And of course, the body cam footage was taken expressly for the purpose of propaganda. And I think that's an important distinction between the propagandising category and the natural disaster or industrial disaster categories. Uh, So now I think in a case like this, then you have to apply another filter. Uh, Am I, by broadcasting this material, um, gratifying either the ego of the perpetrator or giving oxygen to his cause? And and, and for that reason, I think you have to draw the line sooner.
1: Mm. And of course, you know, the circumstances were extremely chaotic. I mean, at the point where the gunman's video and, and the other online stuff became... It
0: always is, you see. That's, that's the point about these things. There's always a fog of war problem when these stories break. It's always difficult to know uh, exactly what's going on. Um, and if you haven't been trained and become habituated to having a few sort of Uh, dot point checks in your back pocket as it were what are what are the questions i need to ask myself here and now that's the problem and when we and i've been a news executive for a long time you when you get confronted with these things you've got to be able to draw quickly on you know and mistakes will get made of course i've made them myself but but the The more you're trained to think quickly and correctly and ethically about these things, the better decisions you will make. I would hope that out of this, news executives on both sides of the Tasman uh, will be better equipped.
1: Well, you say the ACMA in Australia is going to uh, ponder this and talk about it with broadcasters. Our regulator, the BSA, is meeting them uh, and, and discussing the issue on the 5th of September, so quite soon. Do you think that, either the rules in either country w- will change as a result of of this or um, just perhaps conventions the way the way uh, news editors behave uh, or you know the next time something similar happens uh, things will be different
0: well I think in Australia the um The Free TV Australia Code of Practice will need to be extended and tightened up. I think it's very inadequate. It always has been. Uh, This might cause that code to be rewritten and tightened up. The real benefit uh, from the discussions that that will happen is that perhaps there will be some uh, firmer guidance for Uh, editorial staff who are on duty at these times, you can't foretell when these are going to happen. So you've got to have systems that train your people and give them practice in thinking about what they're going to do when it does happen. If anything comes out of this, then it will be perhaps some improved education for news executives and also some better guidance for them out of the codes of practice
1: former journalist and editor Dennis Muller from Melbourne University's Centre for Advancing Journalism, who was cited in the Broadcasting Standards Authority's recent rulings on the broadcaster's use of the Christchurch Gunman's livestream video in their coverage of the mosque attacks on the 15th of March. Dennis Muller is also the author of Journalism Ethics for the Digital Age, a book published in 2014.